Welcome to A Fresh Take, where we look at timely and timeless issues through the lens of biblical truth. I'm your host, Mark Pennell, joined each week by Pastor Paul Sartorelli of Trinity Church in Metro, Ohio. This is our chance to take a look at important biblical, cultural, and contemporary topics that resonate for all listeners. Thanks for joining us today. Hi there, I'm Mark Pennell, along with Paul Sartorelli. He's the pastor-teacher of Mentor uh, Trinity. And uh, it's a beautiful church, by the way. I love I love your little... <laughs> and the people are even nicer than the building. They really are. They really are. I met them. Not all of them, but some of them are pretty wonderful. Okay. Um, last week, we talked about the building collapse. Yeah. I have to uh, add a little caveat to today's program. It's now a week and a half or almost two weeks since... Yes. So some of the facts are not that clear to us. All right. So forgive us for bringing up something that's already been proven wrong or right. But I, I, before we get into this too much, you have, I love this. You, when you do this, you give me some notes to follow and it makes my job easier just to ask these questions and you will give them. <laughs> and yet I'm the son of a surgeon, so he can't read my writing at all. <laughs> <laughs> Very true indeed. It's an interesting font on my computer, isn't it? It's, just... <laughs> it's called sloppy. Font. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. I, I I was very interested in what caused this uh, catastrophe, Mm -hmm. the building collapse. And at this point, they did not know what what caused it. But there are a lot of things. So there isn't one single smoking gun. Um, Too much interference with salt water in the ground. uh, Thought that there was erosion as well from sea salt affecting the rebar, the exposed rebar, Mm -hmm. which sadly was a little too often, especially in the garage. Uh, there were visible fat, uh, cracks in the pillars, and they used epoxy to try to fill them, which to me, does that's like putting a Band-Aid on it, and, and the epoxy was failing anyway. Another reason might have been that there was too much weight on the roof that originally uh, that had been originally hmm. planned. Why? Are there air conditioners up there? What? A lot of them. I noticed okay. the, the ones, the part of the building that survives has a lot of units on top. But anyway... The one that struck me was very interesting uh, in the fact that it was built on sand, as so many of those buildings are. Well, that's all you got there, isn't it? And the sand might have been shifting, especially one side of the building more than the other. But (sighs) it made me think, oh, gosh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. But it did. It made me think of the shifting sands that we build our houses on. Yes, right. Well, Jesus warned it, that the, the foolish human beings are the people that build their house on the sand. And he compared them to the ones who hear his words and don't follow them. I think it's very, uh, what we're trying to do here uh, ultimately in these programs is to get you to know who Jesus Christ is and to, uh, to introduce yourself to him, to ask him into your life. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line, right? What we're trying to do, and I wish there was a way that we could just magically give you the right words where you would just leap on the opportunity because it <laughs> is such a beautiful thing. I'm one of the most skeptical people you could ever meet. I really am. And I still look at some Christians and I, I cringe. I grew up not liking Christians. Hmm. I thought they were idiots. And then I became one of those idiots. And it's the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me. You're my favorite idiot. Well, I, <laughs> but what's interesting is oftentimes 
there's a there is this view that, that Christians are idiots, and in reality, there's a wisdom that comes from knowing Christ that is not earthly wisdom, and it's far greater right. in importance and, and beauty and right. you know, all those things that can be peace and joy. Which, as you say it, when you hear our words, let's say you're watching right now or listening, and you're on the fence or you're not sure about Christ, I will say this: our words are not enough. Uh, there, there is no rationale or arguing that I or Mark could convince you of the reality of Jesus Christ and of Christianity because it is a a spiritual transaction. And so uh, Mark and I always pray at the beginning of our shows because uh, it's such a deep spiritual experience that until the Spirit of God does a work in our lives, in your life, in your heart, in your ears, in your eyes to be able to see, there still will not be any seeing. And so we really do pray that God himself, his spirit, would use this program, his word, to open people's eyes and and soften their hearts that they might hear him. So we're praying for you, basically. Indeed. And I will say, um, even as we talk about really hard issues like suffering and buildings collapsing and, and families losing people, we realize how hard that is. And simply because someone is a Christ follower doesn't mean that they'll know all the answers. We won't. One of the verses that sometimes sounds like a cop-out, but is a very important verse um, in the scriptures that we all need to remember more often. It's found in Deuteronomy 29. Um, And it's a profound verse. And it says this, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. I'll read the whole thing and then I'll back up just a tiny bit. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever so that we may do all the words of the law. So first half, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. And in a sense, almost everything we did last week and we're doing now, um, even talking about suffering and evil and uh, the collapse of a building, why those things ultimately happen, especially from a spiritual or metaphysical point of view. Those are the things of the Lord. Those are those are the things that belong to the Lord, our God. When I half kidding, but serious last program, you asked, why did this happen? My answer was, I don't know. And you're not, you're not supposed to. Right. I know. And the one that knows all of the answers, uh, turn them off because we, those are the things that belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed, and this is written in Deuteronomy. So it's so much of the, the story of the Pentateuch, but you could expand it. The things that God has revealed to us in his word and his character and the way we ought to behave and the 10 commandments and all of that is there. The things that have been revealed belong to us and they belong to our children so that we may do the words of the law in essence, so that we can live the way we're intended to live. And so God is, God basically has given us enough that we may live the way we are intended to live and not bother about all of those mysterious things of which really Job didn't even get the answer for. We'll never know. There's a a certain logic that I, I look at here. If he knew, if he let us know everything about him, then we would go back to being our own gods. Yes. 
because well, I don't know. Everything. I know everything and I can pick a juice. There's, there's a mis- mystery to them. I like, I don't like that word, but there's a mystery to them that has to be here on earth. Yes. So that we can strive to know him better to find mm-hmm. that there is a hunger in, mm-hmm. in when you become a believer, you want to know him more. Yes. And you're, you're constantly striving for it. And his books, his 66 books of the Bible are basically a love letter to us. They're saying, that's right. I heard from somebody. I didn't come mm-hmm. up with that, but there's the truth to that. There's kind of a love letter to us to let us know everything is okay. Yeah, this is my story for right. you. And yet, as you said it, there is still that mystery. God, you can't never get away with it, uh, away from it. The God is still the, the divine one. We are still the humans and there'll still be a, a mystery between the two. Okay. Let's go. Let's, let's go back to Florida a little right. bit, a little bit more abstractly, but I think there are some things that we can bank on okay. that we can know, even in the midst of suffering and pain uh, in, in this world, and especially in this immediate context, these are a few things that that I think we can sort of know and talk about. Okay, ready? I got five of them. Okay, good. Here's the first one. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. You okay with that? I am. And yet it's something that's here, um, but God didn't create it. That's a big sticking point for some non-believers. Oh, I know it is. cannot get past that. Right. God created everything and he created everything good. And if you go back to the original story of the scripture, he created human beings as the end of his, his series of creation. He called it all good. And part of what he created as good is us. We talked about it last week and he created us with the freedom to choose. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of choosing (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of it's not good. Um, and part of what came from our poor choices are at times evil choices is the suffering and evil that's in this world. Theologically, we call it the fall. The world is broken. It's fallen. And, um, it's the result of free moral agents choosing immoral means. We we take the iron out of the ground and the lime and the plastics and somewhere or another. All these things come from him, but then we put them together wrong. And there we go. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a simplistic look, but he gave us these things uh, to use and... I don't always use them, right? We don't always use them well. I mean, you could, you could, you can see it on so many levels. He gave us the wonderful gift of, of human sexuality. Mm. And think how we've perverted it. Think how we've yeah. used it for evil and power and, and dirt and ugliness. And God created everything good. He is not the creator of evil and suffering. We're just really creative and taking his good and turning it upside down. All right. Second, suffering is not good per se, but God can use it to accomplish good. In other words, there can be a a purposefulness in the good. A verse we used last week, Romans 8, 28, and sometimes it's overly used to just turn everything into Pollyanna. And I don't mean that at all. But in, in my favorite chapter in all of scripture, Romans 8, Paul comes to a culmination of things when he talks about God's intentions for us is to be conformed to the image of, of Christ. And then in the midst of that, he says, um, 
we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. That is God even able to use suffering. That chapter earlier talks a lot about pain and suffering. He's even able to use the pain and suffering, even what's going on in Miami. He's able to use that in a purposeful way to bring about good. And it's hard to understand and accept. And it's not calling evil good, but God is so powerful and so good that he can take the worst of circumstances and make them good. You know, I think one of some people's favorite um, speaker on, uh, you hear her on Moody Radio a lot, is Johnny Erickson Tata. And here she was. um, She is a a quadriplegic. And no one would call paralysis good. And yet God was able to use that woman in a a powerful way to bring hope and life and joy to so many people that otherwise wouldn't have it. That doesn't mean that she can sit there sometimes in silence and and feel pain still. She still has it, but she can, she knows that he's there always. Totally. I was reading uh, last week about one person whose brother uh, went down with a building and and they hadn't found him at that point. And he, um, he said that he was in love with Christ, the, the man who was gone. And he says, if he is gone, he's in a much better place. Mm -hmm. And there will be, um, sadly many funerals because of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the, the people that will that will know their savior, there will be a different way of looking at this funeral. Yes. There's tragedy, horrible tragedy. I'm not trying to make light of any of it. I mean, it's, it doesn't change. There's no weight difference. In, but there's a there's something different about those who believed and those who saw it and knew it and are at the funeral that they can feel some sense that there's... <laughs> There's some good that comes from yeah, I, And I think that's exactly what Romans 8 is saying. You know, in some ways, it would be a good idea to pray for those pastors that are going to be doing those funerals, that they can commute, uh, communicate with compassion. Um, the fact that this it wasn't random, that the world is not in chaos and that God is still sovereignly in control of all things, even though buildings collapse and lives ended just like that. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, use your word of earlier. That's part of the mystery of life and of God. Okay. Um, what, what do you have next? Thirdly, suffering and pain will one day come to an end. Won't that be unbelievable? Yes, it will one day. And, and you might ask, uh, what's he waiting for? Let's do it now. But you brought up something in your office before we started here that was absolutely wonderful. Mm. Can I say it? Yes. You said that the, he hasn't come back in 2,000 years. But the reason why is he wants to save as many people as yeah. he possibly can. He's patient. He's he gracious. He not leave anybody behind. Right. Peter would write, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay. And delay means what's taken him so long. But here's what Peter says. But it is patience with you. And he's not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He's patient. He's gracious. He's waiting. Uh, suffering and pain will 
will end one day. The, all of this mess of this world will have an end. But in the meantime, God is waiting and God is calling and hoping, uh, we are hoping that people will turn to him. Yeah. He hurts when we do. Hurts more than we do. Absolutely. Number four. Okay. The good, so I'll word this as clearly as I can. The good and beauty that awaits us are insurpassably greater than the present suffering. Say that again. So what awaits us? Mm -hmm. Good, beauty, joy, everlasting life, glory, as the Southern Southern preachers would do. That is all incomparable beyond thought to the present suffering. And and I know that's, that's hard to hear and say to someone right now that is in Florida and suffering the loss of their loved one, but it's still the words of faith that there is something much greater, much more beautiful than what we are experiencing right now. I'll, I'll go back to Romans eight again, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. We might, you know how C.S. Lewis referred to it. He said, we become so content to uh, mud pies <laughs> and, and the playing of the things around our world today, not knowing that there is something much greater. Yeah. It's like playing with mud pies in the banks of a dirty river, as opposed to going to a beautiful ocean and experiencing as beautiful as that can be. Um, this may not be quite right, but I, I, I was compared to more than a couple of times we humans are are given a view from heaven with people who are wearing white, mm. more white than we could ever imagine here. Mm-hmm. Our whitest white, no matter how much tide is used on it, <laughs> doesn't compare to the white that comes from heaven. Yeah. The people are amazed by that. Yes. So, and it's, it's unfiltered. We're looking through a dirty filter. That's right. Life. It's, it's, dirt is a good picture. And in some ways, that's why baptism is such a beautiful symbol. It is the symbol of going into the water dirty, coming out of the water clean. And it is that white that it's a metaphor for purity. It's a metaphor for, for the glorious light of Christ shining on somebody one day. And in a sense, it's, that's meant to be um, our finish line to keep our eyes on that. We're headed there one day. And it, you know, in the meantime, this can be really hard and difficult and, but to have that as your goal and as your vision is really important. Okay. One, one more bank on this in the midst of all the pain and suffering in this present world. Um, here's, here's, and this is really important for every one of us. We get to choose one of two choices. We can choose to grow angry and to grow bitter toward life, toward God, or we can choose peace and hope and courage that comes from Christ. Right. It's our choice. I know it. And there is a huge difference. Yes. Why would you want to be without him, so to speak? Mm-hmm. This is one of the things that I I tried to 
I look at non-believers and I want to kind of grab them by the collar and say, don't you understand? He yeah. loves you. <laughs> that doesn't do a very good job. Yeah. But there's a lot of believing people that are the same way. And they've grown bitter as well to, to life and to God because it's given them a hard hand. Yeah, and yeah. they don't like the hand that they've been dealt. Yeah, I've felt that way before. Listen to Jesus' words. He looks at his disciples and he says, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. And now he says this to them. You will have suffering in this world. You'll have pain in this world. He promises it. It's coming. But then he says, be courageous. I have conquered the world. And so we really have a choice. We can either choose to be bitter or we can choose courage. Um, And you do too. You've got that choice. Uh, Every one of us do. And again, I don't want to be callous to the people in Florida right now. Their pain and their grief is very, very real and very, very raw. But they will come to a place in their life when the grief sets in and begins to move toward its processes. They'll have to choose. Am I going to choose to be bitter or am I going to choose courage with Christ to continue on? All right. You had one more thing, and I can't see what it says. Nope, that's it. Oh, is it really? Let's see, that's my well, right. It says, choose peace and courage. Right. See, I told you I can't read his <laughs> Anyway, um, I hope these two programs have made a, a difference in, your, in, in trying to understand this horrible tragedy. You know, yeah. We have 9-11, World War II, uh, the Great Depression, uh, the Holocaust, all these things that, are, that can make us ask some serious questions mm-hmm. about where he is. Uh, I hope that somehow or other we've given, or he has given you a, a clear picture that there is a loving God who sees this, is hurting, but he has a promise that it will end someday. Yes. Can I give a promo? Yeah. Again, we were doing shows in September. When you go back to school, we've got some books we want you to read. And one of our favorite authors is Philip Yancey. And years ago, he wrote a book, um, Where is God When It Hurts? Um, if you haven't read it, you ought to. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today for A Fresh Take. Your support means so much to us as we get this podcast off the ground. So if you enjoyed today's episode, would you please consider leaving a review to help us get the word out to more listeners? You can also subscribe to A Fresh Take right now and guarantee that you will never miss a new episode. The video version of this podcast is available on the Trinity Menor YouTube channel or by visiting trinitymenor.com slash learnandgrow, where you can also catch up on past episodes of Pastor Paul's video series, Take 5, or read back through his blog, To The Point. A Fresh Take is hosted by Mark Pennell alongside Pastor Paul Sardarelli and is a ministry of Trinity Church in Menor, Ohio. Our musical selections are provided courtesy of Michael Burrett from the Eastman School of Music. Visit trinitymenor.com for more information about Trinity and its ministries. Thank you for listening today. We'll see you next time.